0: Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, July 27th. I've gone seven days without seeing Barbie or Oppenheim, and I'm still here. Another thing that's still here is unaffordable healthcare, especially in rural areas of the country. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show, courtesy of a new report from the Commonwealth Fund on healthcare access and affordability in rural America. To share their ideas on how to solve the problem are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Murchinson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? It's really
1: muggy here in Chicago. With global warming, we can now have the dog days of July. But at least we're not roasting here like they are out west. Terry and I live very close to Lake Michigan. That's one gigantic air conditioner this time of year. So in a nutshell, Dave, I'm cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. My hair is getting extra curly from the humidity. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Julie. How are you?
2: Um, well, I'm in Boston and I got to go to Fenway Park last night and see the Red Sox beat the Braves. And I gotta tell you, it's just such a great reminder to see how sports brings such happiness. It's kind of crazy what we'll spend on sports, but uh, had a lot of happy Bostonians last night.
0: I love that about Fenway Park. Yeah, I've never seen a game at Fenway, but I've walked by it a a bunch of times and looking forward to doing that in the future. Now, before we talk about rural access and affordability, let's talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Dave, have you seen one or the other or both? And uh, if not, are you planning to?
1: Haven't seen either one, probably will. But what I will say is we just watched the second season of The Bear, and I highly recommend that. The story in the second season is how they transform the family-owned Italian beef sandwich shop into a world-class restaurant. And it takes place right here in Chicago. But the story's a lot bigger than that. It's almost the love letter to Chicago. The city of Chicago is the city of big shoulders, hard work, big ambitions, and big accomplishments. That somehow lacks pretension and doesn't take itself too seriously. Hell, we just had a NASCAR race here in downtown Chicago in the midst of a biblical downpour, and it was fantastic. So go see Barbenheimer, but also put the bear on your list.
0: Yeah, that's so good. We limit ourselves to one episode a week. We don't want to drink it in all at once. So uh, we're through episode eight. We have nine and ten to go. So don't spoil it for me, Dave, please. It only gets
2: better. (laughs) Okay.
0: Julie, did we see you in the back row at either Barbie or Oppenheimer, or was that somebody else?
2: Gosh, I feel like
0: I have to watch the bear. But
2: Well, I'm waiting for my daughter to see Barbie, and she's at sleepwalk camp. And my son thought about seeing Oppenheimer at eight o'clock on Saturday night. (laughs) I thought to myself... No, <laughs> very easily. <laughs> so I'm going to hold out until the craze dies down a little bit. But I saw so many people in hot pink outfits doing everything this weekend. I mean, Barbie is just taking over the world. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of pink out there. Thanks, Julie. Like I mentioned at the top, I haven't seen either. I'll probably see Oppenheimer at the show. I like movies with doomsday scenarios. and uh, It's kind of a reflection of my personality. I'll probably see Barbie at home when my wife wants to see it again. She saw it at the show with my daughter, my sister, and her sister-in-law. I was invited, but I took a pass, which is also a reflection of my personality. So, okay, let's talk about this new report from the Commonwealth Fund on rural health care. We're going to do something a little different today, and that's critique the report's recommendations rather than comment on the findings. So let me give you the findings, and then I'll give you the recommendations. The report is based on the fund's 2020 International Health Policy Survey that compared geographic health disparities in 11 high-income countries. The survey found that 36% of rural adults in the U.S. skipped care because of the cost, That was the highest percentage of any country. The U.K. was at the low end at 5.7%, and 22.8% of rural adults in the U.S. struggled to pay their medical bills. Again, that was the highest percentage of any country. Germany was at the low end at 4.5%. And the report made four recommendations for the U.S. based on the solutions being used in other countries. One, guarantee that every person has access to health insurance. Two, develop or expand primary care networks in rural areas. Three, extend the use of telehealth in rural areas. And four, recruit and retain healthcare workers in rural areas. Sound like no-brainers to me, but I guess easier said than done. So let's ask two brains on our show today what they think. Dave, which one has the most chance of success of those four recommendations? Which one has the least chance of success? And what policy solution would you add to the list? Dave, I'm going to begin my remarks by talking
1: about a new study out this week from World Weather Attribution about climate change before I begin my rant on rural health care. So be forewarned about the rant, and I promise it will connect. But the not surprising finding of this study was that the extreme climate change we're experiencing would be impossible without a human contribution, you know, like burning fossil fuels. I listened to a few interviews with climate scientists about their reaction to the report, and there was actual disdain in their voices. It was almost as if to say, we already know this is true, so let's stop talking about it and actually do something. Well, Not surprisingly, I feel exactly the same way about rural health care, except if anything, our collective willful ignorance on rural health care is even worse than it is on climate change. So why are we so shocked by these findings that life expectancy is declining in rural areas, that people don't get care because it costs too much money? There's plenty of money to amputate a foot, but not enough money to prevent or manage the diabetes that necessitates the amputation. Regarding the report's findings, all four of them make sense. Every person has access to health insurance, expand primary care networks in rural areas, extend the use of telehealth, and recruit and retain healthcare workers in rural areas. You know, we ought to do all of those things. You asked which would be easiest to implement. That to me would be telehealth, and we're already doing that to some extent, but be nowhere near enough. The hardest would be universal access to affordable health insurance. That's the hardest, but it would also have the biggest impact. I mean, think of what we've done with dual eligibles, those eligibles for both Medicare and Medicaid, so essentially old poor people. The funding is adequate, and not surprisingly, given this is America, companies are emerging out of nowhere to service their needs. Could happen in rural healthcare too, if we paid the right way. In terms of what I would do in addition to those four, I'd stop wasting money on outdated and underused rural hospitals. I take the savings from that and invest in clinics within holistic community health networks for every rural community in the country. I've been experimenting with a concept, policy concept that I'm calling UP4C, which is universal primary care, prenatal care, postnatal care, and palliative care fund it with both government and commercial dollars it will more than pay for itself through the savings so everybody gets it and they can use it as much as they want and we will actually put an emphasis on health and not just on treating people once they're sick so come on people stop talking about the problems in rural health care we've been doing that for over 50 years and if anything it's even worse than it was 50 years ago because then we spent 7% of our economy on healthcare. Now it's 18% going to 20 and about 15% of adults were obese. And today that's over 40%. So let's stop talking about it. Let's actually do something. We know it will work. We just have to
0: do it. I look forward to getting a UP4C t-shirt in the future, Dave. So keep that in mind. Yeah, there you go. Julie, any questions for Dave?
2: When I think about the macro picture here, I think about all the hands involved in healthcare, whether rural, urban, et cetera. But certainly when I think about rural, the federal agencies involved are HHF, CMS, Indian Health Services, NAC for Community Health Centers, HRSA, ARC, CDC, the Administration for Children's and Families, SAMHSA. I mean, there are so many agencies that don't just deal with rural, but have a, a very large focus ends up being on rural, and there are of course then on top of that several state agencies not to mention the private health plans trying to do something here so to what extent do you think agency consolidation or coordination could make a real difference here or do you think we're already doing some of that
1: well we certainly aren't eliminating agencies or coordinating very well maybe we should talk about agency elimination uh I think there's a medical equivalent to this, Julie. It's called polypharmacy risk. You know, the more drugs a person takes, the higher the likelihood of an adverse drug reaction. I think the same truth applies to policy management. The more agencies we have addressing rural health care, the higher the likelihood of two things. One, they will screw it up of their own accord. And two, that they'll be manipulated by vested interests. So the real challenge, I think, is what you're suggesting to streamline responsibility. Personally, I'd like to shift more of this responsibility specifically to the states with full transparency and accountability. Federal government can set standards, but get them out of the day-to-day management of this. So I think I see where you're going with this question. So yeah, simplify, 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 and, you know, get it done. And by the way, just so I can finish up my rant, focus on health and not just on healthcare. care.
0: Yeah, you know, we're from the government and we're here to help you. Julie, same questions. Which one of the four recommendations has the best chance of success? Which one has the least chance of success? And what market innovation would you add to the list?
2: Well, you know, I would say that everybody would want to see every person with health insurance. I also read this as guaranteeing access to health insurance, which doesn't actually mean that every person has health insurance. So maybe you just read that one a little bit differently. Number two is part of how innovation is evolving, yet, two and four, as written, uh, seem almost impossible to scale given the staffing shortages across clinical categories, not to mention administrative staff. I mean, it's impossible everywhere. So, shocker, I give number three of telehealth the best chance. However, you can't really take any of these recommendations in isolation because it's definitely the combination of virtual and in person models that is starting to really emerge in a way that's making sense in a lot of different venues from, you know, certainly more innovators, perhaps. And, you know, you hear a lot about virtual first. I'm seeing an increasing number of like affiliations being activated, hospital affiliations, uh, physician practice affiliations. You know, the mothership of these relationships is better enabling schedules for booking appointments, making it more accessible, rotating staff through some of these outlying locations, enabling their centers of excellence, pathways and processes to be used more readily in rural areas. So there's a lot of threads being pulled in addition to virtual that make this kind of combination, you know, there's more of a, I guess, a connective tissue really being developed. And I mean, today there are so many companies that are focused on rural. It's kind of amazing. A few that have already gone out of business, of course, or made a major pivot away because it's hard. But you know, we've all heard about Main Street Health, which is Brad Smith's baby. And Brad was super successful with Aspire in a space that no one had gotten into an end of life. And he and his team, frankly, are doing the good work there. Jenny Schneider, who used to be with Livongo, started Homeward Health. That's the other one that a lot of people talk about. These are both, you know, primary care models, different degrees of capitation and targeting on MA versus you know other types of people. So there's a bunch of these kinds of models. There's one that I've seen that is not really as primary care focused, called Tapestry. That's multi specialty healthcare and TriSpring kind of the integrity of what you would get in a medical center to the bedside in a rural setting, mostly in, I think, institutional settings, but bringing specialists like cardiologists, dermatologists, endocrinologists, urologists, all the gists, and doing so in a way that is, you know, kind of connected into where people are in their rural settings, again, through these multimodal models. So the combination is so powerful. And what you just said at the end there, Dave, about health and not just healthcare. Some of these models are starting to really look at kind of the Oak Street Health model, where do you actually find people in community centers, assisted living centers where they live, and getting back to that concept of almost where we started decades ago in churches. So there's a lot of experimentation and creativity out there, but Virtual First is where it's at.
0: I love that list of examples. So all hail the market. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie?
1: I want to just give you a chance to amplify a little bit more on some of those great models that you did. One you didn't mention, but I think of in this space is Alidaid, led by the irrepressible Farzad Mostashari. I think we mentioned him a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Mandy Cohen uh, going to the CDC. So above and beyond what you've already said, Julie, what do Alidaid like, Main Street Health like, Homeward Health? And tapestry companies have to teach the marketplace about how to optimize rural health as well as healthcare.
2: You know, it's funny, I don't necessarily think of Alidaid in the same category as Homeward and Main Street and those that are going after rural specifically. But when I think about your question with Alidaid, what they're really trying to do is keep independents independent and give them the technology stack they need the practice management capabilities that they need, the payer contracts that they need to develop ACOs and to do as much as they can in value-based care while remaining independent. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the wraparound and the resources of technology and services that they're providing, that's what a lot of rural healthcare needs to excel. So there's definitely something there in terms of thinking about the basics of providing care in the hinterlands, whether you're there as a full-time resource, or you're there in some sort of part-time capacity providing access. And you know, no one knows it, like Farzad and you know, Matt Kendall, who helped him start that in the team. They're amazing.
0: Yeah, independence. That's music to the ears of any doctor. That's great. Thanks, Julie. I think a lot will depend on state legislatures deciding what medical services will be and won't be available in their states. And whether their states support diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm afraid we're not heading in the right direction on either of those right now. So now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. It wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, anything else we should know about?
2: Well, bad depends on who you are in my news for this week. But in California, two Cigna members filed a lawsuit alleging that Cigna leveraged an algorithm to improperly deny claims systematically which shifted a couple million dollars in costs. So we're definitely starting to see the intersection of lawsuits and AI. (laughs) That's for sure.
0: Yeah, using AI for evil, not good. Dave, what else is worth a mention?
1: I've been following the debate in Congress on PBM reform. I know it's getting near the finish line because I'm getting, you know, twice daily updates on what's going on. And there is certainly a lot of sausage making occurring right now.
0: So we'll see what happens. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.